0: Hello, and thank you for listening to the Squiggly Careers podcast. I'm Sarah Ellis, one of your hosts, and welcome to our Ask the Experts second series. The idea of these conversations is to continue exploring specific skills that we hope will help us all as we continue to navigate our careers and a world of work that has got a whole lot squigglier in 2020. In today's episode, I'm talking about empathy with philosopher and author, Roman Krisnerik. I've been following Roman's work for at least 10 years now, And I've always really admired his ability to explore the big questions about the lives that we lead and the work that we do in a way that feels useful and accessible for everyone. And his book, Wonderbox, is definitely in one of my top five most recommended nonfiction reads. And today we're really exploring one of his other books, which is about empathy, why it matters and how to get it. Roman's perspective on empathy is really powerful. And I could have listened to his words of wisdom all day. It's such a pleasure to speak to him. But I think what you'll find in this 15 minute conversation is lots of practical ideas and actions and habits that we can all start to form and really think about to develop and improve our empathy. And we discuss kind of why that's so important and so helpful for the work that we do, but also the world that we live in. And just before we get started, we always want to say thank you to our partner for this series, the Booper Foundation. Without the Booper Foundation, we couldn't make these conversations happen. The Booper Foundation are a charity and their purpose is all about helping people live longer, happier, and healthier lives. If you have a chance to listen to a new podcast, they've just launched one called Resilience Brilliance. And the thing that I love about that podcast, it's stories from everyday people that you probably won't hear on any other podcasts. And those people talking about some of the extraordinary things that they've achieved and how they've been resilient. And I find that really fascinating. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Roman and I'll be back at the end to let you know who's coming up next. Roman, thank you so much for joining us for today's Squiggly Career Conversation. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk to our listeners.
1: Well, I'm hugely looking forward to the conversation.
0: And today's focus is all about empathy. I know you've actually got a new book out right now. But when I got in touch with you, I said we kind of I want to go back to a book that you've written a few years ago, because I think empathy feels particularly relevant right now. And I'm interested to know just where did kind of the idea to start studying and writing about empathy really start or come from? What kind of prompted that idea with you?
1: Well, I wrote my book on empathy a few years ago called Empathy, Why It Matters and How to Get It. But actually, it was several years before that when I had two kinds of experiences which really got me interested in that empathic capacity to step into the shoes of other people. One was on the streets of the city where I live in Oxford, where I used to walk past this homeless guy almost every day uh, who would mutter crazily to himself and be picking up cigarette butts and I never thought I'd have anything in common with him and one day I stopped to talk with him and it turned out that we had a lot in common in fact we both studied philosophy at university and we developed a friendship based on our mutual love of moral philosophy and pepperoni pizza for me it was one of those moments that I think we often have in life where we recognize that we stereotype people we have prejudices about them no matter how unbiased we think we are we have assumptions about others and that's a real limit to making relationships so i think it's really important to have curiosity about people i learned that but the other thing that happened was that i was you know having an argument actually with my partner my now wife i had this recognition that i was thinking to myself oh god i wish you could understand my point of view i wish you could understand where i'm coming from And of course, I think we often all feel that when we're in a conflict situation, whether at home or at work, because we realize that actually to make a relationship work, you really need to step into the shoes of the other person and understand what they're thinking or feeling or how they see the world. And in fact, that capacity to step into someone else's shoes is really the magic ingredient about what makes relationship works, whether it's in the kitchen or the boardroom.
0: And one of the areas I'm interested to get your understanding of is how much of empathy do you think is evolutionary? How much is it just something that we're born with and it's kind of inherent in our DNA? How much of it is a skill that we should be actively expanding or perhaps even can we actively expand it?
1: Well, certainly the way we think about what empathy is, is important for answering that question because there are kind of two types of empathy. One is what's called affective empathy, and that's just really sharing somebody's emotions. So you see anguish on a child's face and you feel that anguish yourself. That's affective empathy with an A. But the other kind, which is the kind that interests me more, is what psychologists call cognitive empathy or perspective-taking empathy. That's where you really try and imagine what it's like to be another person. So you might be walking past someone on the street, someone sleeping on the street, and instead of just feeling sorry for them, you might actually try and imagine, well, what is it like to be walked past on a cold winter's night or to have someone walk past you without looking you in the eye? That's what cognitive or perspective taking empathy is all about. And then there's the question of, okay, as you ask, you know, is this something we're naturally born with? Well, what's really fascinating is that by the age of about two or three, most kids have a capacity to see the perspective of another person. So, I'll give you an example like, I've got twins, a boy and a girl, who are now 11 years old, but when they were little, before their natural empathic capacity had kicked in, you get a situation like this where my son would be crying and his twin sister would go and comfort him with her favourite toy dog, which was a kind and sympathetic gesture but not much use to him. Fast forward a couple of years when they were, say, three or four years old, when my son was crying, then his sister went and got him his favourite toy cat. That's the magic cognitive leap of perspective-taking empathy. Seeing that somebody else might experience and look at the world differently from you and then you can start applying that of course in your relationships at home and at work and elsewhere so it is something that comes naturally to us as a natural part of human child development but the good news is that we can get better at it it's like riding a bike or driving a car or something like that you can build up your empathy muscles so for instance in Canada there's this amazing program called roots of empathy like the roots of a tree and it's for training school children in how to become more empathic and what they do and this is true by the way they bring a baby into the classroom a real life baby with a parent of course and the kids sit around the the baby and they start talking about the baby why is she crying or why is she laughing or what why is she suddenly looking at the parent and they're practicing empathy they're trying to step into the baby's shoes and they use that then as a jumping off point for talking about well what's it like to be a kid who's bullied in the playground or to be a family living on the streets of mumbai and so it's all about learning empathy as a skill unfortunately it's best when you learn it kind of young i'm now 49 so maybe it's a bit late for me but even still we can have those experiences where we realize that we are prejudiced or we have stereotypes assumption about others and become a kind of detective about ourselves notice When you are making assumptions about others, notice when you've actually been wrong. And I think that's a really important step for learning about empathy throughout your life.
0: What I loved about your book is the six habits that you describe of highly empathic people. And today we're going to focus on two of those. I just thought would work really well for us to describe and explore for our listeners. And then hopefully they can go away and read about the rest. And those two are making imaginative leaps and then the craft of conversation. So let's start with imaginative leaps. Perhaps you could just describe for us like what you mean by making an imaginative leap and how we might start to do that as part of our daily lives or even our work lives.
1: Yeah, making the imaginative leap is something that humans are really good at. We do have imaginations and we need to learn to switch them on. There's a quote from Gandhi, which I love, where he says something like, and this is not a, quite a word-for-word word quote, he says, Whenever you are in doubt or when the self is too much with you, apply the following test. Recall the face of the poorest person who you've seen, And ask yourself if the step you take will be of any use to him. And in that quote, which is called Gandhi's talisman, I think is something we can apply to everyday life. You know, whenever you're making a a big decision, how is it going to affect those people around you, whether it's the project manager down the hall or your grandmother or whatever it happens to be. And that is really just about using that human ability to put ourselves in someone else's mind of course it isn't easy you know people who are, who are having hugely traumatic experiences or they've experienced a the death of a loved one and if you haven't experienced that yourself it's really hard to take their point of view but we can at least make our best effort to do that kind of thing and then i think you can start translating the idea of imaginative empathy into other parts of life you know, if you just walk yourself through your day Think about having your morning cup of coffee or just walking down the street or getting into a lift. You can ask yourself, well, what made all of this possible? Who picked the coffee beans of the coffee that I'm drinking? Who built the sewers that the pavement is built on that's taking the waste out of my home? Who constructed the lift? You know, all these kinds of things are a way of trying to bring the human back into our lives, which are often very distant from the human. Pick up your iPhone. Who was it that was involved in making this, whether it's a factory in China or mining some of the minerals in Bolivia or Sierra Leone. And I think these are ways, I think, of filling our imaginations with real humanity. And I think that is one of the key ingredients of empathy to continually try to imagine somebody else's experience of life. I mean, you can do it in other ways too. I mean, you can read a Tolstoy novel and start journeying into other people's minds. You can go and watch films too. But certainly I think at least trying to switch on that imaginative capacity is a really great first step and to make it a habit of everyday life.
0: One of the parts of the book that I found really fascinating and I sort of struggled with a little bit because I was thinking, oh, how how would you do this, was having empathy with our enemies. And I just wondered how you found that process of kind of empathising with enemies and and what that might look like for people.
1: Yeah, that phrase empathising with enemies that I use in the book is really a broad term just to mean the kind of conversations we have and sometimes conflict with people whose views are different from us. It could be a neighbour and you're having a dispute about, you know, whether you should be cutting the branches off the the ash tree, (laughs) or it could be someone who you maybe violently disagree with because they hold racist views or... Views different from your religion or whatever it happens to be and there's a real question of well how do we overcome those differences and you know of course it's really important not to judge people before we really know them and know where they're coming from and so the art of conversation is really important here to talk about the things that we really care about in life love death hope ambition possibility children all these kinds of things I've done a lot of study and work with, for example, interfaith dialogues, you know, getting people from different religions to talk with each other, and they often don't want to speak. Well, the biggest mistake is getting to sit down and talk about the thing they disagree about. In other words, religion. To really start, you've got to get them talking about these commonalities in life, and then religion can be the thing that comes next. And I think that applies equally, or could apply equally in the workplace too, for resolving conflicts, getting teams to work better. You get them to understand each other as human beings. And that is about the art of conversation.
0: And actually, that's a good segue into this idea of kind of the craft of conversation, because I think in my observation, it's perhaps not something we give much time to or much thought to. And yet, you know, you make a really powerful argument for kind of the positive impact of having conversations that are thoughtful where we've really designed them and perhaps thought about like why are we having this conversation who am I having this conversation with what would you suggest to people listening if you're thinking okay well I want to improve my conversation skills and perhaps the quality of the conversations we have at work you know we probably can all recognize those conversations where you come away and you think I'm not sure what we talked about I'm not sure if we're any further forward than we were or perhaps they've just felt tough or just difficult and perhaps people are not saying what they really think. What are some advice that you might have in terms of where people might kind of start in terms of thinking about their conversational skills?
1: Well, I've certainly learned a lot from something called non-violent communication, which is a form of conflict resolution developed by a guy called Marshall Rosenberg in in the US about 30 or 40 years ago. He says there's three things that are really important for making conversations work. One is to be really present to the other person. In other words, don't keep checking your phone all the time. The second thing is to listen out for the other person's feelings, and the third thing is to listen out for their needs. In other words, when you're talking with somebody, it's all about the art of listening when it comes down to it. Conversation is not about you talking necessarily. It's about becoming a better listener, not interrupting and trying to think about what are those person's feelings and needs? What are they really trying to say behind what they are saying? But of course, there is the other side of it, which is about making yourself vulnerable, being open. And I think people like writers like Brené Brown have articulated this really well, that you've got to, in a way, sort of show, not necessarily weaknesses, but show in a kind of a, emotional openness. And that can be really hard, particularly in macho work cultures, where I know I've spoken to, I know investment bankers in Goldman Sachs and that kind of place. I said, well, I can't show weakness. I can't show vulnerability, <laughs> all this empathy stuff. That's just a, a hopeless, soft skill. But actually when it comes down to it, I think those skills are actually what help you get through the really difficult times. Of course, there's evidence showing that the more sociopathic people often rise to the top of organisations, because they make those cruel decisions and, and that kind of stuff, uh, you know, sacking people and so on. But in the end, I think empathy is going to be the ultimate skill of the workplace, particularly empathic listening, You know, we know that the artificial intelligence and automation are coming our way, coming into so many businesses and industries. But the one thing that humans have above machines, at least at the moment, is the capacity to make relationships, the capacity to empathize. Machines aren't very good at that yet. And I think our USP really is to practice that art of empathic understanding, conversation and listening.
0: We always ask our guests at the end of interviews to share your best piece of career advice for our listeners. It can be your own advice, it could be words of wisdom that perhaps you've had from friends or family that's just really stuck with you, or just something you'd like to share today.
1: Well, for many years, I used to work at a place called the School of Life, and I used to teach classes on career change. And I wrote a book called How to Find Fulfilling Work. And after all my years of my own job experiments and talking to hundreds, even thousands of people about their careers, I came up with four words of ultimate career advice, very obvious, which is this. Act first, think later. In other words, if you're trying to make a decision about what to do next, don't spend hours and years and months prevaricating and writing, rewriting your CV. Just go out and start volunteering, shadowing, taking action. It's a little bit risky, but ultimately that's how we experience a sense of radical aliveness and find purpose in life.
0: Thank you for listening today. I hope you found the episode as inspiring and motivating and thought-provoking as I did. And next week, you'll get a break from me as Helen is going to be taking up the interviewing reins. She'll be talking to Elizabeth Uvi Beneni, who is the author of a book called Slay In Your Lane. She's also a podcaster and a writer. She's written for people like The Telegraph and The FT. And together, they're going to be talking about confidence. And I know right now, actually, confidence is a real challenge for many of us with so much uncertainty happening in our careers right now. So I think that'll feel a really meaningful kind of topic to explore in more detail. And if you're enjoying these episodes and you do have a spare five minutes, rating, reviewing, subscribing, the podcast makes a massive difference to us. And it's something that we really do appreciate. So thank you in advance if you get time to do that. And that's everything for this week. Thank you once again for listening and look forward to speaking to you again soon. Bye for now.